This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Hello and you're very welcome to another special episode of the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Keen Tracy and we're continuing our build-up to the World Cup in Japan and I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Bradley of the Belfast Telegraph. Jonathan, how are you? Not too bad, Ken. How are you? Yeah, not bad. It's just the two of us today. Rory O'Connor has uh, up sticks. He's getting a bit of extra pre-season training in before we leave for Japan next week, but I suppose we'll have to leave him off this once, will we? I thought he just needed to take a wee break after all his work at the start of the week there with the squad. General, general muscle soreness, I think, <laughs> is the official word, but yeah, we'll, we'll see him back anyway for the next episode. Um, look, we're, we're out here in Carton House. The, the Ireland team has just been announced uh, to face Wales on Saturday. I guess unusual in the fact that Andy Farrell did it, Joe Schmidt was up for media on Tuesday and it's always nice actually to get Andy Farrell's kind of thoughts because you know he's such a big, a, a key part of this machine but I guess the standout headlines really are first appearances for Robbie Henshaw, Keith Earls and Johnny Sexton and I don't know, after the squad being named, these guys coming back, Wales naming a full strength team, this really starting to feel real now isn't it that the World Cup is, is here? Absolutely. I think you look around the games that are sort of going on throughout this weekend. There's a lot of guys coming in for their first first appearances. You know, you look at, say, the likes of David Pocock coming in for Australia, Johnny Gray coming in for Scotland. But Ireland have three huge names that they wouldn't want to be going into the 22nd of September without. So obviously it's hugely encouraging to see that, that trio come in. And you look at that team now and it has very much more the look of the Ireland team that we've seen in, in the past under Joe. Mm, and we, we also have Keen Healy is back as well, which is huge. I actually, I, I kind of thought he might be given an extra week if there was any doubt at all, but I guess it just shows how hungry these guys are to make an impression. But just looking at Henshaw, Henshaw at 13 is an interesting one. Obviously, we, we mainly see him at 12 for Ireland with Gary Ringers outside of him. Um, what, what do you think we're, we'll see from him there? I think it's just been this complete oddity under Joe Schmidt, basically since... Bondiaki qualified that we haven't really had mm. Robbie Henshaw Bondiaki and Gary Ringo is all fit at the same time bar really that England game where Robbie Henshaw went to fullback for me I think I still think I'd prefer to see him at 12 with Gary Ringo outside him I just think you get a little bit more there obviously Bondiaki picked a really really great time to have mm. his best game he for needed Ireland it. in he a needed long it, didn't time he? because see before that there would have even been whispers, you know, that say Chris Farrell and Will Addison would go as centres. Now, I don't think there was probably anything in that, but even just the perception of how he fits into this Ireland squad probably changed with how well he played. But for me, and I don't know how you feel about it, I think it's definitely Henshaw, Henshaw plus one. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think the preferred partnership still is um, Henshaw and Ringrose, but I don't know. I, 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 Joe is a big fan of Bundy and what he brings. And like you said, he, he picked a good time to have a, a, a really good game, but I think he really needed a good game after that England game. And while everyone was poor, I think he, he would admit himself it was particularly tough afternoon for him. Um, I thought it was very interesting, actually. Andy Farrell was asked how Keith Earls was specifically, and he said that he had clocked his his top speed this morning at training, which is pretty pretty impressive for a guy who was struggling with a knee injury. For somebody that seems to be just getting faster with mm, age, it's amazing, and, isn't and it? getting better with age. Like I remember, he tells that great story about how he learned speed as a youngster, just jumping over fences. <laughs> over the Tolman Park wall, yeah. the back wall. Yeah, anyone from Limerick actually will be well aware of that. <laughs> it was great. You just hop over the back wall and in you go. Yeah, but it's it's obviously stayed with him if he's getting faster, faster at the, one at this time of year and two mm. at his age. But he's a huge player for Ireland. And I think that maybe goes under the radar a little bit just with how much focus there is you know, basically Johnny Watch of how is Sexton, yeah. when is he going to come in? It's massive to have Earls back. He's one of the first names in the team sheet, really, mm. isn't he? And I mean, his form, like you said, he seems to be like a fine wine, just getting better with age. And he adds such a different dynamic to, to that backline. And you mentioned Sexton being back as well. Um, I wonder how much of a temptation there was, you know, with Carberry still not fully fit, would there have been to actually just leave him out? Because obviously he has come back in and delivered, but... I don't, he, he needs game time though you can't expect him to rock up in Scotland in a couple of weeks and you'd be hitting the ground running as much as he's done it before so I think it's it's a probably a good decision it's a it's a calculated risk is that be fair to say I think it gets it gets harder and harder to do that I think just to just to switch back on it you know people go back to I suppose when he took that hiatus um, with the concussion and how he came back into that six nations and how good he was but he wasn't particularly fresh coming into the most recent Six Nations. You compare that, you know, we always talk about the, I suppose, player management in Ireland, but you compare that to somebody like Owen Farrell, who's just playing continually. And when it came to the crunch, Ireland-England game in the Aviva back in February, it's abundantly clear who looked more ready for it, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's been it's been a great week. I mean, even from a journalistic point of view, I, I presume the supporters would have agreed as well. Like, I mean, just with the excitement of the squad being named early, I guess the strength of the squad, and, you know, there were so many talking points, but I think it, it, with Devon Toner being left out, it kind of got lost that this is a very, very strong Ireland squad. I guess Jean Klein was one of the guys who you know unfairly in my view came into for a lot of criticism you know it's not his fault he's playing by the rules and he's getting a start this week which is a big show of confidence um this is a really big chance for him to stake his claim because i thought he was okay against in the italy game like and i don't know how much you can read if anything into that italy game he was very poor against England, um, and I think some people then were surprised to see him in the squad. But how much pressure do you think is on him this week? He's a very different player to Devon Toner, but naturally there's going to be a big focus to see how he gets on, isn't there? I think it's really important to remember that the reason that he's there is because he's a very different player to Devon Toner. If there were similar yeah. players in style, Joe would have obviously went with the guy that he's capped 60 times rather than the guy that he's capped twice. So I think there is pressure. I thought it was interesting for Andy Farrell, just the way that he answered that um, question about him in the press or there, just saying how relaxed he was, mm. that he seems essentially just as he would be normally. I mean, you've probably seen him certainly more, more than I would have. What do you think he can bring to, first and foremost, the line-out, but 
also just the other attributes that he can bring here? He, he's here to do the, the, the dirty, the, the ugly stuff that, you know, that, that Joe basically wants that's so important to Schmidt's game plan in terms of the number of rocks he's hitting, the speed at which he's hitting them, you know, how he's providing front football for the likes of Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton to play off. And while it, it is the, it's, it's the stuff really no one cares about because all you want to see is the, is the backs getting the ball in hand, but he needs to step up. There has been question marks against the better opposition for Munster as well. In the big games, you know, him kind of fulfilling this, you know, enforcer role, I guess, that people keep using about him. But we need to see that, I think, more because this is why he's getting picked. And you mentioned about the line-out. He doesn't offer a huge line-out option in terms of jumping because he's such a, such a big man. But it was something Rory Best was obviously up just there um, with Andy Farrell in the press conference. And he was asked about how the dynamics of the line-out basically are going to change because all of a sudden you've got, you're missing your, the key cog in that wheel. So uh, we'll have a listen now to hear what Rory Best said about that. Look, I think it's, it's about confidence and about getting um, uh, different people used to each other. And look, I think ultimately the, the line-out is a, is a game of confidence. You know, if you can get the first couple in and one and away, then everyone breathes a sigh of relief. And I think whenever you you lose a couple, then everyone gets nervous, not right from the hooker, right down the line. And, and that isn't where you want to be. And it's, it's like a reflection of the game. I think if you play with the ball in hand and somebody knocks a couple on, then the whole team automatically gets a little bit nervous. And, and look, that's, I think it's only natural. I think for, for this weekend, it, it's, it's important for us just to get a good run. Um, to get those first couple of line-out wins and then but ultimately if it doesn't go that way we can't let it affect the rest of our game the way we did against England you know okay we we lost a few liners against England but I think what was most disappointing because you can you can repair them reasonably easy the, the most disappointing thing was how we then give up the next moment after that the next moment I think probably a Jay's try was probably the biggest example of that you know we lost the line-out and then we let them get the ball back, set a phase up, and then really score relatively easy under the post because we just weren't focused on trying to win that next moment and try to get um, get the upper hand back with our actions. And, and that was as disappointing as the line-out not functioning. Yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. Rory Best, he, he said, it's a game of confidence, the, the line-out, and I guess it really is. I, I thought... There was big improvements last weekend against Wales, but we have to say it was against a really poor Wales side. It was almost like a dragon side, a Wales B side. Um, Niall Scannell did quite well, but the calls were very simple, weren't they? Straight to the front. Now we're they're going up against Alwyn Jones, one of the best line-out technicians in the world. So it's a, it's ideal, really, isn't it? This is this is the test that Rory Best and Cole will want. Absolutely, because. You know, you talk about really the calls and there was all that talk of having multiple callers last week. Essentially, every call was a conservative one. The one that they tried to throw beyond the front was the one that got uh, picked off by Shingler. But you mentioned Alan Wynne-Jones and I think it's huge for Ireland to get the opportunity to be tested by Mm. him because, let's be honest, Scotland as a pack won't fancy themselves to match Ireland's pack, but what they do have is Johnny Gray. He week, week on week for me in the Pro 14 is one of the most disruptive forces on your ball. So that was the only thing that I suppose would have factored into my thinking on the toner and John Klein, even if it was toner v. Klein, just the fact that... Scott- that, that's the thing. It, it wasn't necessarily toner v. Klein because Ty Byrne kind of got in on yeah. that loose head side, which I think got lost in the whole the, the whole Ferrari of, of a better as well because 
Joe has always wanted a big tight head lock, and it's been Quinn Roo for the last few years. So I think, he, you know, he, he was always going to create, I think, a space for one of these guys, especially when you look at the Samoan-Russian games coming down the line. He needed a, a big guy. So it didn't necessarily, like, well, of course he benefited from Toner knocking in, there's no doubt, but it didn't necessarily come down between a straight shooter. Ty Byrne was kind of the one who, and we talked about this in the podcast last week, we weren't sure did Joe yeah. quite have his trust and even we were talking about him playing in the back row and now he's kind of named as a lock so just pressure on him too I guess Absolutely because the only reason that everyone's focused in on Klein is a perception thing it's, of course. it feels to me that the majority of Irish rugby fans wanted Byrne to go mm-hmm. so when he goes that gets brushed under the carpet to an extent and everyone focuses on the player that without being unkind the majority of people it seems didn't want to go in a lot of ways we've probably been spoiled because everyone talks about or whenever people hear Joe Schmidt talking about this tight head lock, they think it's a new phenomenon or something that he's just mm. hiding behind. But that's only because we've all been watching Paul O'Connell for so long, True. who could operate at that, provide that tight head grunt, but also do absolutely everything else. But you're talking about one of Irish rugby's best ever players. Mm. So the idea for me that Joe would want something that he feels John Klein can bring in that role rather than say, Devon Toner, that makes sense to me. There is a huge amount of pressure, but Byrne as well is probably feeling that pressure as well. Obviously, thought he had a decent game last week. I don't know know how you felt. Yeah, he hasn't really kind of gotten those big moments. He had a couple when he came off off the bench, but he hasn't quite exploded. But I think one of the things about this whole thing and it was something Brian O'Driscoll and Ron O'Gara touched on recently that training under Joe Schmidt is such a huge barometer. We haven't a clue what goes on in training. Devon Toner has struggled with injuries this season and I thought he's looked off the pace in the games that he's played. Now, if he's looking off the pace in the games, who's to say that that's not happening in training as well? Do you know? So Joe Schmidt didn't wake up on Sunday morning and go, actually, you know what? I don't really fancy Toner for this World Cup. Mm-hmm. The, like, we, we see him all the time and how meticulous is he is in his detail about the opposition. Like, we're talking about the opposition. So what is he like about his own team? So you've got to back that this is the right decision and he does seem, he, he, he has seen enough of him. But it's even, even this weekend, it's Joe Schmidt's last get home game in charge and Rory Best uh, as well, obviously, as captain. And he was kind of touching on it inside. And it, Andy Farrell was saying that the two lads will downplay it as much as they can, but they're going to use this to their advantage. And I guess Warren Gatlin wasn't able to do that last week in different circumstances, albeit with a lesser team. But I thought Rory Best spoke really well. He fronted up really well, as, as you know, I'd never expected anything different. But do, I thought there was a little touch of emotion there as well. And I guess he wouldn't be human if he didn't feel that. I think the last, you know, basically, if you go back to whenever he announced that he was going to be stepping away at the end of the season and that impromptu... Ulster press conference that was called and obviously just holding back the tears as soon as he um, caught eyes with his wife and kids. I think it's been a battle to try and keep all those emotions under check because he said that he doesn't feel like he performs as well when he's not at an even keel. Normally he's very good at staying level-headed but as you say, you wouldn't be human if you weren't thinking about the fact that this was the last time you were going to do this when it's meant so much to you for so, so many years. And yeah, you talk about the emotion. He was also saying how he came off the training pitch at Carton House and there's always the same faces waiting there and there was just a, a lady standing there in floods of tears. And 
I guess that's probably when it hits you home as well because I know they speak so much about this bubble, but it really is a bubble out here when you get out here, isn't it? And when you see, I don't know, the public in that kind of emotion, it, it you know, you'd want to be hard as stone, I suppose, not to feel it. Yeah, it'd be the same, you know, obviously leaving the hotel and um, the hotel lobbies all being full and getting onto that team bus and stuff. All these things that he's doing for the last time. And I think he said there in his presser that, you know, the next time he comes down, is going to be... A, be as a fan and he'll be sat in the pubs rather than uh, getting on the bus and having to deal with it. And he did say he'd enjoy a point as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is one of us. <laughs> um, but just to finally to touch on the back row, um, it was something I was asking Andy Farrell inside there. We've seen lots of chopping and changing with different combinations but with very different types of players and I know last week we were kind of saying when it was Byrne, O'Mahony and Conan that I think myself, you and Rod agreed that there was a really good balance to that. We've got more of a punch, I think is the word Andy Farrell used. Um, Standard playing six and Jack Conan playing eight with Josh van der Fleer seven. There's a lot of power there, isn't there? And he was saying those three guys are in, I think, ridiculously good nick is what what he said. Certainly, um, and again, you would have probably paid more attention to it than me. CJ's body shape looks different. Like Mm. he... um, he definitely looks like he's an incredible Nick anyway, just when you see him. But if you, you know, CJ at six and Jack Conan at eight, you know, on a good day, those guys could combine for near 40 carries. So when you're talking about that punch, it's definitely there. The, I think the balance, you know, we talked about it last week and we'll probably talk about it for the next month or two. The balance is the key. Josh van der Flair, we know how much Joe values his work rate. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I still think, Peter Mahoney's going to start at seven. I think he'll start. Mm. Well, well, sorry, he will definitely start. And I think it's just a matter of where he starts. Yeah, I thought we spoke last week about Jack Conan and how his brilliant season that he had with Leinster and how, you know, if he had played well against Wales, he could really have forced the issue with Stander. I thought he played well, but I didn't think, you know, I, th- I think he left the door open for CJ again. And I think he'll be breathing a big sigh of relief that it's him playing number eight because... He doesn't have the versatility that CJ Sander does. And while he could definitely play six, CJ has played there before. And I think he has opened the door slightly. Like It's going to be a debate, and it's, it's a worthwhile debate as well. But it's another chance, isn't it, for Jack Conan to, to stake his claim. And I agree with you. I think O'Mahony is definitely going to start, especially with Devin Toner now gone in what he gives you. It's the line-out, the leadership, all those kind of things. You know, if, if, if Jack Conan and CJ Stander combine well this weekend... You could easily see the two of them with O'Mahony between them. It's funny because you make the point of, you know, we are only seeing a very, very mm. small snapshot of what Joe's seeing. Like, we're essentially reviewing a film off the trailer here just by yeah. trying to project just on the matches. But just with the nature of the Wales team and the nature of how you think this occasion is going to go, personally, I get the feeling that this game will carry weight more so than any of the others. This is the one that they've built towards. You know, they've talked about how they've tailored their training to really hitting the ground running. So I think when you're looking at the various combinations as one, two, even the result, and three, just the general tone of the performance, how long they sustain their performance, because we saw it build last week, but still they really only played well for sort of 55 minutes. So, I mean, how much are you putting stock in this weekend rather than I suppose the seven eight weeks that we've had previous I think the seven eight weeks undoubtedly are absolutely huge here like I said even when you're hearing two former players who've worked under Joe for so long saying it you don't have to you know second guess that but this weekend is huge like it's massive it's like you know Schmidt's last home game 
Ireland's record at home under him is phenomenal. And while England did a job on him in the Six Nations, I can't see I can't see it ending on a losing note. As good as Wales are, Wales aren't the same team away from Cardiff. And I think if Ireland get a good performance and whatever, if it's a narrow win, I don't think there'll be much in it anyway. I think the complexion had changes then a bit. They're leaving for Japan on Wednesday, and I think the public, you know, confidence will be restored that they can go into that Scotland game all guns blazing. Mm. Do you think? I do because I think just off the back of the England game, there was such just such consternation from everybody, and it was getting to the stage where I may as well just give up and not bother going to Japan because mm. everything was just so disastrous. But it is funny how I suppose perception changes on games where we say the result doesn't really matter I agree with you I think they'll I think they'll sign off on a strong note mm-hmm. here and you know even listening to Brian O'Driscoll talk um, during the week just about how much of a difference it makes to have that I suppose send off to a World Cup yeah. and the fact that you know it is Joe's last game it is Rory Best's last game here and I think that will lift the occasion certainly more so than it seemed to be lifted in, in Wales last week because it was curiously flat I thought really for Gatland yeah, let's hope we don't get the same same as that. I I really don't think we will with the teams that are that are there. But um, yeah, I think I think I think they'll get the, the send off that they really need. Um, but that's all we have time for today. I think I guess the next time we'll be talking to you is probably in Japan. Yeah, usually four or five days deep into this by the time yeah, I, uh, we're doing we're, we're doing a recce before you arrive so we can find <laughs> out the, the good podcast spots so we can record. Um, but thanks very much for joining me, Jonathan. We'll see you over there. Cheers, Ken. Thank you.